if you love what you're doing, I think, again, it just flows together. You give your best. And when you get to anything, it, it's got rewards, be it financial or be it just for the absolute joy of what you're doing. You've got to enjoy it. And moments will come. The body will just say, this is fun. That coaching philosophy is from our new director of training, Layla Porches. Definitely love anyone that emphasizes enjoyment and performance. Enjoyment coming first, the chicken, then performance, the egg. But welcome to the 8020 Endurance Podcast. I am Hannah Hunstead. And I'm Matt Fitzgerald, and I am one of two people, David Warden being the other, who made the decision to hire Layla. So you know I like her, and I have a feeling that you listeners, after uh, hearing her journey as an athlete and coach, more about her coaching philosophy, you will like her a lot too. The best is yet to come. She's just getting started uh, hitting the ground running, so to speak, with a lot of exciting projects under development, and she's going to be playing a key role in bringing those to fruition. When you first told me about Layla, you said she is just a coach through and through, and she absolutely is. She has great, great energy. The first time we were on a Zoom call together, it was like two hours long, full of excitement, and we hung up and got right to work, just like any coach would. Really, really enjoying her on the team and also having another female on the team, but she's definitely well-balanced as a human being. Yeah, I mean, you know, Layla is a fit. One of the things you'll notice about uh, Layla is that she takes a kind of a holistic approach to endurance training. She emphasizes enjoyment, but she also emphasizes health. Health is the foundation for fitness. Without that, you got nothing. In that vein, our presenting sponsor, Inside Tracker, is all about the same thing. Inside Tracker allows you to look inside your blood, blood don't lie, and get answers. It can be confirmation that you're on track with your health. It could raise red flags, so maybe something missing in your diet, maybe not enough recovery or rest. All that stuff you can learn through Inside Tracker. And it so happens that listeners to this podcast get 25% off their services. So take advantage of that. There's a discount code to be found in the show notes. Hannah, what have I forgotten? I've gone through the process with Inside Tracker and it was super easy. So if you have any questions about how that process actually goes, you can ask me. Um, I'm actually probably due for, <laughs> for another blood draw coming up here, but a good way to kick off the new year and your training season and make sure all your biomarkers are where they need to be. That sounds good. And uh, we'll let you enjoy the episode now, folks. Uh, we'll do better next time. <laughs> Layla Porteous, welcome to the 8020 Endurance Podcast, the podcast that's 80% snakes and 20% spiders. Welcome. <laughs> Thank you. That was a great welcome. What, okay. What was Matt, I talking you said about? This was, you said this was an inside joke, but I think I know what it is. Right on. But, well, but Layla, you knows. tell us. Well, because every everybody usually says, they're like, oh, you're from Australia. And then they pretty much go into a story about, oh, you've got so many deadly animals in Australia. And then we spend 25 minutes talking about snakes and spiders. <laughs> so Matt knows that's a little bit of my life as an Australian living in America. Perfect. So you're okay with the first half of this episode being about snakes and spiders? I'm just, used to it. Just so yes, we're clear. I'm I thought I said prepared. 80%, 20%. <laughs> Oh, true, true, true. <laughs> I'm completely prepared for that story. I've got a few good ones, so. All right, now that we've lost our audience who doesn't care a lick about snakes and spiders, I'm curious to know what you think of your new colleagues. We like to ambush our, <laughs> we like to ambush our guests just right out of the gate. So you've started a new job recently. How are your coworkers? Are they? <laughs> I did not realize that this was like a HR stuff being recorded for the public. There's there's no HR department. <laughs> Have you not found that out yet? It's like there's nobody I can complain to about being asked this question. <laughs> no, no, everyone's great so far. I mean, I'm looking forward to meeting all in person, but for the last 18 months, well, now it's been two years, hasn't it? We've all adjusted to, to getting to know people through Zoom and virtual environments a lot better. We've all got more comfortable with with getting to know people through these platforms. So it's been a great way to get to know you guys. And so far, so good. Wow, right A plus. Yes. <laughs> I'm just, let me 
put this i'm just writing this down it's okay <laughs> so so far so good but it's only yeah. been two weeks in a day <laughs> okay so outside of snakes and spiders and creepy crawlies can you tell us more about australia and your upbringing oh geez <laughs> very yeah, I mean, very <laughs> wide open question yeah it is i won't get into to details but growing up in australia was great we have a very active lifestyle I, I think people internationally know that sport is sort of part of australian culture so we don't really look at it being anything super special to be active i mean have whether that's changed now but certainly when i grew up you just were playing sport and outside the the weather i grew up in queensland the weather was that you're outside all, all the time swimming pools open all year round you're swimming you're playing strange sports that no one else in the world plays um, and we just, I think we have a very active lifestyle. So I grew up playing all sorts of sport, running around outside. I actually, though, sort of left Australia pretty young. So I left Australia when I was 24, thought I was going overseas for six months and, and I've never gone back. So that's not to say I don't love Australia, I do, but we're travelers at heart, I think. When I had the chance to, to go and explore the rest of the world, I jumped straight on it. So yeah, upbringing was great, great very much into sport little bit of information. I joined the, the Australian Navy when I was 18. So that was a fun experience. I didn't know what else to do. And surprisingly, decided to join the military much to the amazement of everyone around <laughs> me because I didn't really do what I was told at all. That was probably something that shaped who I am as an adult. Now, later in life, I think that that was a big experience for me physically, you know, discipline wise. That's sort of an interesting thing that a lot of people are surprised about is that I, I served in the military many moons ago. But yeah, then I got out and, and the rest is kind of history. I'm curious to know when the coaching side of you first started to make itself shown. Was it was it in the military? Was it before that? You've said that you didn't do what you were told, which actually is good for a coach because you want to be the one telling people what <laughs> what to do is that a side of you that that you've always expressed in one way or another uh yeah probably I think I started to want to teach in some way early on actually when just after I think I was still in the military just getting out I did a personal trainer certification because I thought I wanted to to do something like that and then I went you know I took the credentials I got from the military and that's what took me. I, I moved to the Middle East. It's where I lived for 15 years in, in the United Arab Emirates. When I was there, I used to do some coaching on the side. So sport was so natural to me that I felt like it was something I could share with other people. So I was working at a hospital there and then had multiple other jobs. But coaching in that sense or being a personal trainer, working with people with sport was something I kind of did on the side while I was doing many other careers. The coaching element really came through once I had a big career shift from nursing into sort of corporate facilities management of a large women's only university. And I started working with a lot of people in a training capacity as a manager. And that's when I realized like, I, I really enjoy this. I enjoy working with people, helping people navigate and bring out their best self. That's, that's what I enjoyed the most about a managerial position. And then that sort of i followed that career and then when i when we moved here to the us i didn't have a green card for it took almost a year and so triathlon was a big habit habit of mine i'd already done some coaching certifications undergrad in health promotion so sort of was just this natural thing i was like i'm going to give this a go and make a living out of try and make a living out of coaching that was one of the best decisions because i combined something i love to do with something I love to do, if that makes sense. So a sport I love to do with the thing I like to do, which is helping people get better at something or, or be their best self. It brings me a lot of satisfaction. I feel like a lot of the coaches that we've had on the podcast have said that exact thing too. It kind of rings true for everyone. But I'm curious to know what got you into triathlon. I know that we were both swimmers, so I have that background, but can you expand on it more? What are you up to right now? What's your favorite thing? So I did my first triathlon in Australia when I was probably 21, I guess, and it was like a super sprint. It was insane. I was like, what on earth? This is just crazy. I don't even remember. It was a bit of a blur and I was completely not prepared. I don't even remember. I think I wore like a body surfing wetsuit and it was just 
I, I just remember going, that was crazy, but I kind of liked it. I left and moved to the Middle East where sport really wasn't on, on the radar at that time over there. Running was something we could do a lot where I lived. So we, we did do a lot of running, did a lot of running events. So I was just running for a really long time until triathlon became really big in the Middle East. And I'm not sure if you guys are aware of this. It's quite a big active sport in Bahrain, in the UAE, Oman, there's Ironman races there, there's been challenge races there, and there's an amazing amount of events that are really well supported and well put on during their season. So there was one at the Formula One track that's in Abu Dhabi, the Grand Prix track there. So it's at night, you swim in the marina there, and then you ride your bike around the racetrack, and then you run around the racetrack, it's kind of cool. A couple of friends had said, you know, you should do it, you should do it, and I had just got back into swimming because I did a charity event. I don't know if you guys know the Burj Al Arab, that big sail building that's in Dubai. They had a charity event to swim around it, raise money, raise awareness for a local charity. So I got back into swimming and someone said, all you need is a bike. And I was like, oh, okay. So I went out and bought a bike that week, a road bike, and did a sprint try because I thought, I think I remember how to do all this and I'm fit enough. Well, it was absolute hot mess again. Um, I totally didn't have the right equipment. My helmet was on like sideways. I've got photos of me just like, just la- smiling and enjoying. And when I crossed the finish line, I don't know. I just immediately was like, that was so much fun. I need this in my life. Like it was challenging. It was exciting. It was so many skills I felt like I needed to, to get better at. I was immediate. I'll be honest. It was really rapid when I finished that particular race. I was like, I love this. And I think I was at a phase in my life where I needed something like that. I'd, I'd been trying to do boot camp and I'd picked up a few team sports, but they just weren't jiving with me. And this was just immediate. I just, I want to get better at this. I want to be really good at this. This was that, it was, it was a very instant feeling of really being satisfied with the, the event, but also knowing like, that was terrible. I did a really bad job, but I, I'd love to get better at this. The, the sort of, trajectory from 2013 it was rapid i've jumped in both feet into the sport and it was pretty pretty big jump in and i went in pretty pretty fast and with some pretty lofty goals like i'd done a sprint and i basically told people i'm going to go to kona (laughs) which was ridiculous at the time i love that but i just was like no that's what i want to do to be honest i don't have how i pulled it off but I, i think a lot of luck determination and just kept showing up I, I was able to do that but I think when you, you 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 focus on something and you put all your energy into it it's amazing what you can achieve and that that's what I experienced from doing that first sprint triathlon it was like I don't think I'd ever been so single-minded on something before in my life but I was when I when I finished that race so maybe it's going to wear off maybe I'm going to get bored of this because I'd been I'd done that on a lot of things before but here we are 2021 and I'm still I'm immersing more and more and the more I do the sport the more I realize there's more it's just it's for me there's just I always feel like there's more to this and so it's just never got to the point where I felt like oh I know everything about this and I've perfected it or I'm bored with it and so I think that's why I I, I love triathlon specific but also endurance sports in general those feats of going a long way for a a long time and challenging your body in different ways I I love that you mentioned that it was very single track mind after the first sprint triathlon but have you found a good cadence of training and, and balance in your life since then I mean you have a 12 year old son so how is being a mom being a coach now the director of training at 8020 Endurance and a triathlete yourself. Like that's a, that's a lot. Yeah, I agree. I, I've certainly had some times where I got a little bit out of balance and I think that's something I'm very cognizant of as a coach. I've experienced it myself and I see the signs of it for other people and, and help them navigate it. I think for me, it was, it was, starting to have that more periodized approach to my year and knowing when I needed to just focus on something that's important to me and put all my eggs there and know I can't be brilliant at everything else during that short period, setting that up really well with my family, with with my work, making sure 
that it's possible to do that. So at first, I think I trained too much and too hard, but that, I think that's just a, a sort of initial experience. And then I started to really learn how to, to navigate it and make it integrate into my life. It's a lifestyle to me. Being an endurance athlete is a lifestyle choice. So living as an endurance athlete, it's not something where I just do it and then I just, you know, turn off. I'm always doing something that makes sense for my bigger goals. But I'm also, no, it's a game of patience. It's the long game. I'm here. I want to do this for years and years. Like I always get so excited when I see the oldest person finish at a race. I'm like, okay, so do the math. How many years have I got still? You know, they set the bar for the rest of us. So I'm not in a rush. I don't get too worried about, I just do the best I can each day and stay consistent. And that sort of helps me not lose balance, I guess, and, and do the other things I need to do. I think something that a lot of athletes maybe don't understand about coaching is that to prepare to become a coach, you have to learn and master the sport, acquire all this knowledge and experience, and then you're ready to coach. But you started coaching triathlon not too long after jumping in with both feet. And for me, in my observation, like that's very common. Like if you're a coach, you don't need to learn everything there is to know about the sport. You already have what it takes to be a coach and it doesn't take a ton of knowledge. Yeah, you'll get better and better as you acquire knowledge. But was that kind of your feeling is that you were ready to at least be a pretty good coach after not too terribly long after you had that full immersion in the sport? Yeah, I would, I would say that that's a true statement. I mean, coaching is in itself a skill. So I think if it's something you are drawn to, it has its own sort of skill base and you can apply it to a lot. I, I felt like the the time I'd spent in managerial roles with working with big groups of people and coaching people in the workplace meant that I was like, well, now I can help people do something else that I really like as well. And so, yeah, you're right. At first there's this little bit of, do I know enough about the sport to coach? I still feel like that today, <laughs> like, to be honest. But, but and you I, always I will. <laughs> yeah. I coach in a way that it's a partnership. I feel like I am learning as much as my athletes are. And every athlete teaches me as much as I hope I teach them, I enjoy the process of coaching and helping people self-navigate their own journey. And it's different for each person. I think you do get better. You look back and think, oh, if I'd known that back then. But I think the, the thing is, as long as your coaching philosophy is strong, what you're trying to achieve in terms of keeping people healthy, well, helping them navigate their goals. These are important things about coaching. That's what makes it great. Being an expert of the sport doesn't necessarily make you really good at helping other people get good at it. I think that's something you're drawn to, but I think it's something you can also get better at as you learn how people learn, how um, to communicate with different groups of people. And then there's a big element of knowing who's going to mesh well with your style of coaching. And that I think that's the hardest part in the beginning is like, what kind of coach am I? <laughs> like, and, and that took a while. That was probably the longest process for me. It wasn't so much the training plans and how to give out the workouts. It was like, how, how am I going to coach? What, what, what sort of style am I going to have here so that people know whether I'm the right coach for them? All right. Well, easy, easy next question. So thank you for the underhand toss. What is your coaching style and uh philosophy <laughs> and... I mean, I'm guessing it, it's in line with 80-20 philosophy as well, but I'll, I'll let you answer that one. Yeah, that would be weird if I'm like, well, no. 20-80, 20-80. I like 20-80. Uh-oh, we hired the wrong person. <laughs> no, I think it's a good fit for me. I've always been about integration of your training into the rest of your life. Very focused on helping people not overtrain and self-navigate themselves in terms of learning how to pace and learning how to, to, to use internal effort to navigate the process of being an endurance athlete when you're, you have a busy life. So if you have a job and kids and stresses, training is a stress as well. One of my biggest philosophies as a coach is helping you work out how to make decisions day to day that are right for you. Obviously, we have a, a big model of custom plans, but... Even to some extent, when you write a plan for an athlete, it's written in a bit of a vacuum 
and then you've got to help that athlete through education learn how to adjust that around what's happening on in their life and and how they're feeling i do think that's a big part of my coaching philosophy is helping athletes learn how to self-coach in a lot of ways so that they can have this narrative in their head of like what am i feeling how can how's my effort how's my body responding what what's going on and then get the most out of each one of their training sessions so that they're efficient in what they do i think that's a big part of my philosophy is that i always put um, my athletes health before performance outcomes as well which is sometimes shocking to them they're like what i'm like no i've actually will be keeping you well more than i'm worried about how we impact performance outcomes so i'm very clear with people about that i will always make sure we do adjustments and we never train ourselves into injury um, that could have been preventable now not all injuries are you can't have crystal ball and we're pushing the limits on the body but when there's ones that you can see are caused by overtraining too much intensity too much back-to-back hard sessions the things that cause this over time so that's where 80 20 fits really well for me because that's sort of how i was coaching anyway mostly moderate mostly steady efforts very much based on feel and then appropriate specificity for the race we're doing as we get closer to it i'm really a big fan of training to train so spending more time on foundational work getting resilient, getting the body ready before we put the hard stuff on top of it. So that's also one of my sort of strong approaches is let's not rush into race specifics. Sometimes we can afford to spend a bit more time on the foundation rather than rushing into those riskier workouts. So where were you career-wise and and in your life when we came calling? This was a long time coming from our side, but I'm not sure how much awareness of us you had, but we knew we needed to hire someone. And then when you're a company that's going from three people to four, and we were hiring a director of training, very important hire for us. We feel very fortunate to have found you, but how, how did we manage to persuade you to come on board? I wouldn't say I was looking, but I was certainly starting to have some feelings of, so I've been six years running my own coaching business. Where, what am I doing? How am I growing? What's my next move? And I guess I've been feeling like that for a while on what I was going to do next. How am I going to grow? How am I going to continue to evolve as a coach? Am I going to do it myself? And that was a very real thing that I was thinking about is just working with more coaches, having more access to to more opinions and viewpoints and and philosophies that help you grow, that lift up your coaching. So that's sort of where I was at. And then, of course, I see this ad come across and I thought, oh, I'll just have a look because I'm an inquisitive (laughs) person. And when I opened it up, it was like... It was literally written for me, I felt, in a lot of ways. I was like, oh, it was. I got that, I got that, I got that. that." I'm like, okay, then I'm reading that. I'm like, oh, yeah, I'd like to do that. I'd like to do that. Like everything you listed, I'd like to do all that. (laughs) A lot of it I'm already doing, but on my own. And so that was that draw is to come and be a part of a team, a small team to start with, but a small business. Reach more people. You guys have certainly fast-tracked my ability to come in with this audience that we can continue to provide education and great training plans and great resources to. So that was exciting um, because I feel like I've got a lot to share. And then also having some people that will help me stay a little bit focused (laughs) with (laughs) the process of doing that, that have got that experience. That was really where it just felt like I'm gonna go for it and apply for this. It just felt very organic. I don't want to get too touchy-feely, but I, I'm i a big believer of the universe does that for you when you start focusing on anything, actually. But if you, like, that was my Kona thing. I feel like when you focus on something and you put your energy there and you take your focus to it, it tends to just start happening. And that can happen with the crappy things too. If you just focus <laughs> on the negative all the time, you tend to just see that and that starts happening. But when you focus on what you want, it just starts coming. You see it. I think you open yourself up to the opportunities. When I saw that, I was just like, there it is. I just <laughs> I just had this feeling. I was like, I, I didn't have any expectations on the outcome, but I knew I had to I knew I had to apply. I knew I had to 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 put myself forward because it just felt like 
it was going to tell me something and it's been a a very just natural thing i'm like this is so easy something you know, like <laughs> i hope i don't get hit by a bus or something walking across the crosswalking <laughs> because it just felt very easy and very organic so <laughs> i hope you don't get hit by a bus either i'm gonna <laughs> i'm gonna not focus on that piece yeah well we know what you do for 80 20 endurance but could you tell our audience what you do and what you'll be doing <laughs> right now i'm really just getting to know the business from the inside a little bit more that's a process that's going to take some time so that i can understand where there's opportunities that's going to be what i really will focus on is trying to make sure that we are keeping up with what people are looking for in a good training plan that we're providing education and and feedback and resources to our very large audience of athletes out there so i think We've got some really exciting projects coming up for, for 2022, and I'm hoping I'm going to put my fingerprint on a lot of them. Biggest one, obviously, is the coaching certification. That's going to be something I'm super excited to share the philosophy and, and the course with some coaches that want to improve their knowledge and application of the 80-20 principles in their own coaching or want to become coaches or even athletes that just are in that learning phase. I think it's so exciting when people want to learn more about themselves in the sport, because that's the thing about a course like this, you're, you're going to learn things you can apply to yourself, but you can also you can share with others that are kind of beneficial to, as I call the long game in endurance sports, preventing burnout, preventing all the things we know happen when you don't train fairly moderately most of the time or fairly low, to be honest, most of the time. So that's going to be a big thing that I, I hope to be a part of. And then, of course, just in, in constant improvement and adding more plans out there that meet you know, more athletes' needs for races in the future, enhancing our offering as we move along. I think you've got to keep growing, constantly keep adapting and, and, and keep improving things. At the end of the day, like you look at something like triathlon, you look at obstacle horse racing, even swim run. These are young sports. These are fairly, in the scheme of things, fairly young sports. So we've, we've still got a lot of room for growth and continue to continue to make any programming and the way we train for these sports is just constantly going to be improved and adapted. You have been for several years in the trenches, coach, working you know one-on-one -on -one with a manageable number of athletes. And you really enjoy that. You chose it for a reason and you're still going to continue to do that. I, I still coach a handful of athletes one-on-one. -on -one. But, you know, you've taken this job and this is this is a more mediated and highly scaled version of coaching. And actually, quite frankly, my concern for you is that it won't scratch the itch the same way. But at the same time, I wonder, I'm just trying to put myself in you, your shoes, like, is there a way for you to influence this business that allows you to have it both ways. Because I would actually like to see that, to have more and more, like as much of a human touch with coaching as we can possibly apply, given the constraints of coaching through the internet, coaching remotely. Do you see it, an opportunity to kind of steer this business in a direction that you know allows it to, just to feel very much like human to human coach athlete relationships? Yeah, that's the beauty of technology. I, I would say, Yes, I have a lot more interaction with my athletes when you're coaching one-on-one. -on -one. You're building relationship that allows things to flow where you can make adjustments to someone's plans because you get to know them um, very well. But I, I think that's definitely possible and scalable to a certain extent. You're never going to get that personal relationship that you're going to get from one-on-one -on -one coaching. But I think that we have access to technology that lets us share content that's really helpful from an education standpoint that can help people take plans and and actually implement them a lot better so the plan itself is fine it's where the plan assumes no human humanity i guess in a way it's like here's the plan and we're going to assume that everything's just going to be perfect for that 12 15 18 weeks there's going to be no issues. And we know that that's never true. <laughs> like, well, occasionally, 
occasionally, but it's taking those things that you as a coach, me as a coach, all of those things, you know, come up for people and giving them the adaption skills. So how do you adapt a week when something comes up? What's your options and giving people options, teaching them. So then there's an element of people being able to apply that themselves to plans and feel that they can still get really great fitness, really great progression, even if they don't make every box green every week in training peaks. In fact, I often tell people I want to see a bag of Skittles because that tells me we've got humanness happening. That's a, a skill that you can teach people is that that's still going to give you an adaption. I think the fitness industry has done a lot of damage to people telling them that go till you puke, go till you die, train till you drop, or if you don't train, you're lazy, only losers, you know, have a day off, all this rubbish. It's absolute rubbish. And so I think we can change the narrative for particular endurance athletes. It's just every day doing your best and something is better than nothing. So if you had a 45 minute run on the schedule and you can fit 15 minutes in, Go for 15 minutes, it's fine. And then you get on track the next day and you don't build any opinion about yourself based on any one workout. And so I think just that narrative alone, some people need to hear that. That's coaching that you can give out to a wide audience of stop listening to, to the narrative of you need to beat yourself up every session to get performance gains. You don't in endurance sports, that's for sure. And life happens like you're going to have you, consistency is in your behavior you don't have to make every single workout green to be consistent you have to have consistent behavior and what does that look like that means making sure you don't completely keep sabotaging your ability to train so setting yourself up for that being important oh did you train today i used to get that a lot and i'd be like did you brush your teeth did you brush your teeth you know like for me it's just habitual so, you know, it just became a part of what I do. Now, what that training looks like is going to be very adjusted around my life. And sometimes I'm going to lean in and, and, and put those efforts in and, and see what the body's capable of. I'm feeling strong, I'm feeling energized, I'm feeling good. And sometimes I'm like, I need this to be like very therapeutic. I need to put some Fleetwood Mac on or something and just chill and get that heart rate low and just focus on form, focus on breathing. My thing to most people is you, you're allowed to feel good at the end of a session. You know, allow that for yourself. You should feel better at the end of your training. Now, you can do that from having a hard session and you can do that from having an easy session. Really, it's how you're approaching yourself and you do not need to beat yourself up all the time. In fact, most people shouldn't be beating themselves up any further through training. I don't even remember what the question was. I just ended up down some dark alleyway there. <laughs> I liked that soapbox. Honestly, uh, that's advice that I need to listen to myself because I'm very much someone who likes to follow things to a T, except for last week, which I'm going to take this opportunity to <laughs> He knew I was going to do it. Matt's shaking his head. I'm going to read a comment that Matt wrote <laughs> on my training piece. <laughs> so if, if this is your first episode, Matt is currently doing my training for the Austin Marathon, which shameless plug for the Endeavor Run Austin training camp weekend of February 20th. Come run the marathon with me and spend time with Matt as well. But yes, this comment came last week. I was in San Francisco <laughs> traveling. And it was supposed to be a long run, an hour and about 20 minutes, I think. And I ran for 46 minutes and 48 seconds. All right. Not too far off, but I wasn't feeling great. I was not used to hills. And Matt's comment is, "Welp, we're off to a terrible start with adherence. But that's just because you're traveling, right? Question mark. Angel emoji. So I guess my question for Matt is, is your philosophy different than Layla? Because I was just adhering to my lifestyle at the time. And it seems like I was doing that wrong. Yes. It's funny. I, actually, I, I would like to. Don't forget, we're interviewing Layla. Not, not Sorry. Me. But 
But actually, I, I would like to turn this in a into a question for Layla, because for me, like, I, I definitely, I skew hard ass as a coach. I just do. Like, uh, everything Layla just said, I totally agree with. Like, you should feel good most of the time you know, in, in training. So, you know, it's like, I'm not an idiot. But at the same time, just by <laughs> nature, I am kind of a drill sergeant. And I remember, like, one guy I coached, it was his first long run he did with me. And it was supposed to, it was like an 11 miler. Um, and he balked at nine miles and he had to walk a bit and then he, he, he walked, ran the rest of it. And his comment was, he, he added up the, the total running he did. It was like, I still got more than 10 miles. I'm like, no, you ran nine miles and hit the wall. <laughs> and he's just like, whoa. <laughs> but, you know, so sometimes I feel like, God, I'm a jerk. I'm a bad coach. I, sh I shouldn't be a hard ass. But then, I, then, I, then I'll come back around and, well, that's just who I am. I've known other hard-ass coaches, and some of the best coaches are hard-ass. So I don't know, Layla, the question is, am I a terrible coach? No. As long as you put the angel emoji. As long as yes. you put the angel emoji in there, then you're good. That makes it all better. This is, this is the beauty of coaching. We, we're not all going to be the same, you know, and so some people want that coaching. Hannah just isn't one of them. <laughs> no, no, I just think, I think you... you I'm, the, I'm the one in the wrong. <laughs> I, I think that there's some people that need that approach and like that approach and enjoy that approach and that brings the best out in them. As an athlete, you need to find the coach that, and get to know yourself and what motivates you and find that type of a person. I tell people I'm not going to be your cheerleader. I'm not there all the time letting you off the hook. My assumption is that anyone that comes looking for coaching, looking for a training plan, looking for work, they're motivated. I don't need to push you. I need to help yourself navigate and manage the process to be successful at the goal we're looking for. So I'm, go I'm not going to push you in stuff that's not relevant to the goal, but there's going to be a time where I'm going to turn around and say, do you still want to do this? And I ask that question a lot. If I start seeing consistent sort of shortcuts and, and non-commitment. So I think I just do it differently. It sounds like you're drill sergeant in each session. I'm not, I'm, I'm, I go from a bird's eye. I'm looking at trends and habits. So if someone has a really bad week, it'll take me a while to turn around and, and say, hey, what's going on? My thing is most people wanna do the training. They usually wanna make the box green. There's a reason why they can't and I don't need to make them feel like crap when they didn't. I need them to help to understand that what choices they made, where did that choice come from? Did it come from a place of respecting your body and your energy and your time? Or did it come from a place of just, I couldn't be asked? And they're two different things. And my assumption is it's usually the first one with adults that are motivated. So that's just a different approach. That means I don't need to be hard on them because they already know that I know that Sometimes you have to make choices out there. Sometimes it's just not happening, but we can't make a habit of that because I do think that shortening staff, not finishing off your training, not even completing races in some occasions, it is a habit. It become a habit. You can start doing that all the time. So I don't let people get away with that. That's for sure. That's where I'll come in a little bit more. Hey, that's usually what I say to people like, Hey, I'll start with it and they know what's coming. And that's the difference maybe, Matt, between running and endurance sports. When you're trying to navigate three sports, God, you're training all the time. It just You're just constantly training. It just, it's like you're just hanging your swimmers up and then you're getting your bike out. It just doesn't seem to stop. So I think there is a little bit more flexibility needed for long course triathletes now. If you're in a vacuum, you're single, you're young, yeah, I'm probably going to push it through. But when I've got people that work full-time jobs, travel for work, kids, I'm going to be a little bit more questioning what, what's happening, what's going on in life here. You, you, had to, you had to skip or I don't think either are, are wrong. I think they're just what the beauty of coaching is that we're all going to try and get people to, the, to where they want to go to in our own way. And then when you find someone that meshes with what you need, it's just a beautiful thing. And so you've probably had athletes where it just didn't work. I've certainly had athletes where it just doesn't work. And everyone's wrong in that situation. It's more just like, 
you need someone different and having that conversation a lot of coaches don't have the courage to have that conversation most of my athletes are so hard on themselves i'm like take a chill pill you're doing great you know <laughs> like so it's just different approaches to try and get everyone to achieve their big goals it's interesting to hear you talk about people are already motivated and they don't need the coach to motivate them. I think that's the assumption is that people want coaches to motivate them. But like you said, if you're coming to a coach with this goal already, you're motivated. So do you think that ready-made training plans, like the ones that we sell, are actually not a thing of the past because the coach provides, one, if you have a coach with that, they provide so much more. But two, like you said, the self-awareness and the adaptive piece, like a ready-made training plan could go different ways for 10 different people. So while we do adapt and we are growing our business into different avenues, that's still something that we can really rely on is what I'm hearing. Correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, I mean, I I think there's barriers to entry to sport. And so there's always going to be training plans are the simplest way to get a program out to, to people starting in the sport or people who have financial barriers or just prefer to be self-directed. Like there doesn't even mean any leveling or skill set. I know a lot of pros that self-coach and a lot of people can turn around and say, oh, they'd be better with the coach. Well, you don't know that for sure. Some people work well with a coach. Some people work better self-coaching. That's the beauty of this. It was so different. So no, I think that the way that we're getting quality training out to a large group of people is certainly relevant and important as all of these endurance sports grow, where do you start? Everyone starts with with a plan. I started with a plan I bought off the internet for my first 70.3. It's not like I jumped in, I self-coached myself for that first sprint. I bought something that you print off and stick on the fridge for the next two races. And I'm like, oh, I'm gonna do a half Ironman in Thailand. By the way, that was not a really great um, choice considering I knew nothing about riding on really big hills in like 110% humidity. However, <laughs> that's the, why I became coach. But That's a song for another time. Yes, it's a long <laughs> song. I, you know, I bought the plan offline and that got me there. Now, did it, was the race perfect? No. But did I have an epic experience? Yes. Was I fit? I was fitter than I was before I started that plan. So, yeah, I mean, I didn't jump in thinking that I needed a coach right from the get-go. Some people do. Some people need to navigate. Am I really into this? What do I want to get out of it? I think coaching is one-on-one coaching is great, but it's not going to be something that's where you can reach a lot of people and remove barriers to entry for people coming into to endurance sports. Curveball question for you. Not really a curveball, but just like a subject changer and something I am just personally curious to know the answer to. What are your reading habits like? What do you like to read? I am very much into true crime. You can ask my husband about how many 2020 Dateline shows I've listened to in the car where he thinks I'm going to actually murder him. Like he thinks I've established (laughs) my own research. It's research. He does. (laughs) He tells my son all the time. I think your mother's going to kill us one time. I'm like, don't tell him that. <laughs> Luckily, my child is, he's my child. And so that he understands the humor in that. But I'm like, what the heck? But I, yeah, I read for, for what feels like work. I read a lot of technical books, obviously, about nutrition, sports, science. But from a relaxation standpoint, I like sort of, I love a good Stephen King. I know it sounds cliche, but Oprah always has a good book to recommend. My mother is a very good source of reading, so I can shortlist. I'm not super fussy, but yeah, normally something with a crime in it. One of my favorite books that I've read probably in the last 18 months, and I think it's been out long, and that was um, Where the Crawdads Sing. I'm not sure if you've heard that. That was one of those books where I just finished it and just like held it like, I want to experience that again, but I can't. Like, if I reread it, I already know. So I literally want to be able to read something like this again, and I've been looking all year and haven't found anything that made me feel like that book did in terms of just how well-written it was and just the story, you know, awesome story. So, yeah, I, I kind of lost the reading habit for a while there, but now I try and read a minimum of at least seven minutes a day before I go to bed. It always ends up being more. 
but that's kind of a rule of thumb for me. The problem is they keep making every book into a Netflix series and then I can't help myself and I think, oh, I'll just watch the Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's, it's easy, Very right? True. So I wish they'd stop doing that. I always think, I've got to read that before they turn it into a series. I wish they would make one of my books into a Netflix series. <laughs> Which one? Which I would one? drive a better car. Just whatever. It's just the money I'm talking about. <laughs> I was going to say, Layla, may I suggest Life is a Marathon by Matt Fitzgerald as your next there, book? Yes, there you go. I did just buy the 80-20 triathlon book, which I'm working my way back through. <laughs> but um, yes, that's probably a book I need to read. Or not. Um, okay. <laughs> Come on, Matt. Um, so we have a super deep closing question segment, and we are going to get into that right now. Super deep closing question for you is... How deep are we going here? I'm on I'm the edge of my <laughs> I'm, seat. I'm concerned. <laughs> is this your dream job? And I know you have multiple, so they can all consolidate into one. But are you are you living your dream career, I should say? There we go. Wow, that that's not just deep. That's like what do you call it? When you get like put in a corner with the question. Oh yeah, that's also the point of this segment. Yes. Is to make you feel just that way. Yeah. <laughs> You're in the hot seat. I'm the hot seat. Yeah, I would say, if we're going to be candid, you can be confident, but then still question whether you, you can really pull something off. And I think coming into this environment and now having a team, I feel like I'm going to be able to do some really awesome things that on my own, I was overthinking and I really wanted to do, but I just, I couldn't get myself to do it. Maybe because you're worried you're going to put yourself out there and going to fail. And I, it's strangely enough, I feel like I'm in a safe environment to just go for some things and push some things forward that I've wanted to do myself. I feel like I'm in in a space now where I can do that. So right now, it's it's a perfect situation for me. I feel like I've sort of, in a lot of ways, it's taken me from this little coach sitting here, reaching my small group of athletes to being able to impact a lot more people. And that's super exciting to me. That's a dream. That's a dream position. That's a dream job. It's not even a job. It's, it's like I'm getting to do what I really feel like there's a calling for me to, to do that. Right, but we'll still pay you. <laughs> yes, and I need to be paid as well. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> Just to be clear, yeah. still get paid, no matter how much you like it. <laughs> yeah, this is, it does feel like we live in a time where I was caught the golden handcuffs. Like people choose things to get paid for that they hate doing. I'm like, you know, you can go do stuff and get paid for stuff you like. That is a thing. Um, but it, a lot of times it, a lot of people aren't experiencing that so many people are and you can tell the difference when they love what they're doing and getting paid obviously is important economically but if you love what you're doing I think again it just flows together you give your best and when you get to anything it, it's got rewards be it financial or be it just for the absolute joy of what you're doing you've got to enjoy it and moments will come. The body will just say, this is fun, you know? And then you find all this stuff you think you're looking for, this fast, this paces, these things. They're just bonuses. They're just a cherry on a cake you already made from loving what you do, for the love of it. And I think that's important in work and just in generally in life. It's just finding as much enjoyment in little things as you can. And, and following that energy. Unfortunately for endurance sports, you don't get paid to do them. You just get to pay to do them, though. Yeah, <laughs> so but there's a payoff. That's the difference with there's that. There's a payoff. Like, people wouldn't pay. That's why I always tell people, God, we pay a lot for a, you know, a T-shirt and a medal. But if you really <laughs> think about it, you wouldn't do it. It's different for everybody. Maybe not always it's the racing. People we love the training. Some people like the sense of community. Some people like the structure. Some people like the health benefits, like they knew if they didn't have a plan, they wouldn't be able to self-motivate. But there's something intrinsic, right, that leads you to want to do something. That's the thing about endurance sports and, and racing. There's a payoff. There's a reason. As long as it's not a bad one, mm -hmm. because that, that is, that's what you want to help people navigate. Is not, you're not escaping something through your sport that you're actually moving towards something. You need to work out what you like about it. And if it's the t-shirt or the beer at the end or the way you feel or the friends you're making, they're also very good reasons to keep pursuing it and finding enjoyment in it. It's all about the process. It's all about the journey. 
and most people over time end up enjoying the training a lot more than the racing. I'm all about the beer at the end. <laughs> Matt's always in it for the beer. Which is not, well, that's not great advice. You probably shouldn't have a beer at the end of an endurance race. We know that's terrible nutritional advice but you know it's the social aspect i guess at the end of a race is the celebration i don't know i think it's the beer for matt i think it's great <laughs> yeah. advice yeah that's all i've got left now <laughs> you can have my beer after the austin it's marathon the, it's the, yeah it's the beer at the beginning now i'm the guy out hanging on his lawn chair at uh, eight in the morning with the beer watching people <laughs> run by with your boom box <laughs> yeah <laughs> these people are crazy and yeah, yeah you can have that Sign, you're nearly there at the two-mile mark. <laughs> the two-mile mark. I'm done. Well, Layla, thank you so much for your time, and I'm so glad we got to share you with everyone and thankful that you're on the team, and hopefully our athletes get to know you a bit better through this interview and in the future as well. Yeah, thank you. You guys asked me some hard questions. Didn't give me any prep. Wouldn't tell me. That's the name of the game out here. Yeah. <laughs> Last week's episode, we introed a new segment called What's Your Jam? One that we tried to do in our first episode, but failed miserably. So we're bringing it back around. This time, they are located in 8020's Spotify account, specific playlists for mine and Matt's. But my current jam for the week is Heartbreak on the Dance Floor by S.G. Lewis, inspired by the concert that I went to last Friday. I went to his concert. It was fun. People were bopping around, but he was lip syncing, which was sad. It was fun. I would recommend. But he's, he's really singing in the recorded version of the song. Folks can enjoy that. Well, we hope. I mean, we, hope. we have no proof. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he could he could be pulling a Millie Vanilli on us. Um, so that's a good one. Mine is from an artist uh, named Leslie Weiner, who I didn't know a lot about until recently. She just came out with a retrospective. She was actually a, a supermodel in the late 70s and was known as like the first big androgynous type. In addition to having, you know, just a, a cool look. She's a, a very gifted artist and did like a lot of pop music. It's sort of like an underground. She had a cult following through the 80s. Anyway, she just came out with this retrospective. One of the songs in it is called Skin, and I just love it. She's a little bit of a, a Nico type. Uh, if anyone remembers uh, Velvet Underground and Nico, who I think was also a model who sang. But she mixes talking with singing, and trust mm. me, it just works. And the last 40 minutes or 40 seconds or so of this song... She's got this like just funky tribal beat going on and she's uh, repeating the refrain over and over and it's just, it's trance inducing. It is, it is as good as music gets that those 40 seconds. Wow. Um, yeah, I'm serious. <laughs> what an explanation. Really if you weren't won over by that explanation, I don't know what will win you over. That sounds like a classic Matt Fitzgerald song though. The tribal yeah. beats with the speaking. Yeah, you know what? You're going to learn about other dimensions of my musical taste as we continue this feature, though. I, I'm, a, I'm a big Butthole Surfers fan, you know? So I, <laughs> just give it time. <laughs> Find both of those songs in the show notes. I definitely didn't sell it as well as you did, but hopefully you enjoy mine, too. <laughs> All right, until next week.